Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today we celebrate the life of a man who certainly made his mark in footy. Over 261 games with Essendon and Sydney. He got to do what all footballers want to do, and that is hold the Premiership Cup and go for a lap at the MCG. His name is Ted Richards, and he's with me in the studio. Ted, welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Peter. How are you travelling? Yeah, all good. I uh, moved back to Melbourne close to two years ago, uh, working down here, um, two young kids, and um, on to the next chapter of life. Do you like the time back in Melbourne now? Everybody talks about Sydney, and it's a, a great city, but it has its difficulties up there. Yeah, uh, we're all competitive, and, and Melbourne and Sydney do get competitive. I I somewhat sit on the fence. I think they're both cracking cities, both with quite different benefits and um, but different negatives. But um, I, I love living in both, and um, you know, the stage of life now to have family around us and um, things like that. It's it's great to be back. When you first moved to Sydney, was it a, a bit of a culture shock? Because as you say, they are different cities. We're not that far apart, but they are different cities in lots of ways. It wasn't a culture shock in that, um, I don't know, I, I went up there when I was 22. Um, I was excited about the prospect of moving into state. Um, I embraced that. Um, for, fortunately for me, the Swans embraced me back in that. So I, having moved up there in November 2005, I very quickly had a lot of friends. And um, so um, I felt kind of quite welcome quite quickly and that, that, that would have helped the, uh, the move. Even though the Swans are a big ticket item in Sydney, and they have been for some time now, there is still that relative anonymity that you can have as an AFL player up there. Did you enjoy being out of the fishbowl to a certain degree? Yeah, it was very refreshing. However, when I moved up there, I was a 22-year-old player that had played 33 games at Essendon. So even though people might use the metaphor of Melbourne being a fishbowl, I I wasn't a Buddy Franklin down here. I... um, on the odd time that I got recognised, it was a bit of a thrill because um, uh, I was a fringe player at Essendon at best. I you know, played much more football in the reserves than the AFL. So um, when I moved up there, it wasn't that culture shock. What does life entail for you now? You said you've moved back to Melbourne. You've been down here for a couple of years. What about life after footy? What are you doing? Yeah, I, I've, I never felt comfortable being a footballer in that I would have... I was, I was never so confident that I'd have the career that I, I did end up having. So I always wanted to ensure that I was best prepared for the next career as I could because I always thought that I was one year away from being delisted for, for the majority of my career. Um, so I tried the best to um, prepare for the next stage of life 
Um, and I had a, I've always had a bit of a passion on the investing side and, and finance. So I, um, whilst I was playing football, um, I, I played, was lucky enough to play football for 16 years. I studied for 15 of those years. I worked for the last six years of my football career and just to get myself as best prepared for the next stage. And um, so I, I'm, I'm working in, um, in the investment management and absolutely loving it. Even apart from the fact that it's going to earn you a dollar on the way, do you think it's a good thing for footballers to have their mind occupied with something other than football because it is so all-consuming these days? I, I do. And um, I, you know, people are talking about right now about the fact that um, what can players do to prepare for life after football. But I feel like this conversation was being had 16 years ago too. There's, a, there's an onus on the individual to actually acknowledge as footballers, we get a day off midweek and that is an opportunity. You can waste it and sit at home and play the PlayStation or you can use that to better prepare yourselves for whatever happens after football. And um, so I would much prefer to have stayed at home and, surfed, played golf, whatever people do. But um, I worked, studied, and I didn't didn't love it. But um, subconsciously, it made me appreciate how lucky I am being a footballer, which I think helped, kept me resilient in those down times when footy isn't going well, to, to actually be able to look back and go, well, hang on, I'm still quite lucky. So it was all means to an end stuff, really, rather than a passion for something. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's why I did it, for the means to the end, for where I'd be when football finished. But in doing so, it actually helped my football career um, because when I came into the club um, the next day, I'd bounce in because I'd go, you know, how lucky am I not just to sit at a desk all day and, and look at an Excel spreadsheet? Um, I've got an opportunity here to run around with 45 good mates outside, fresh air, um, keeping fit, paid well, and all these things as opposed to just focusing on the negatives. Did you see the opposite side of the coin, Ted, when you bounced in that day after your day off and you'd see some of the younger brigade because as you were getting towards the end of your career, you'd be regarded as a veteran. Did you see the opposite? Did you see kind of a boredom amongst a without naming individual players, did you see a boredom amongst some of the younger guys? Uh, I don't know if I, I saw that, but what you do see is, you know, at, at unfortunately October, November, when decisions are being made on whether players are going to be recontracted or not, in that some guys don't see it coming and might get a delisting and aren't as attractive as they might be hoping to other teams in the competition and reality sinks in quite quickly as to the next chapter of their life and um, the fact that they need to make decisions as to how they can prepare and move on from here. And if you think back and go, well, surely, you know, things could have been put in place two, three, four years ago to ensure that if this was to happen, that you wouldn't be in the position you are right now. When you were at that veteran stage towards the end of your career, did you have the younger guys coming up to you and, and asking for advice, not only from a football perspective, but also from a, a general life perspective as well? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And um, credit's due to uh, the player welfare manager at the Swans, Dennis Carroll, who does a fantastic job. Um, I, can, I can provide my opinion on, on and advice as to 
things that have worked well for me over my football career. Um, it's up to the individual to be able to actually take that on board and actually follow through with um, a decision that might actually not have the same benefits and lifestyle and as an excitement, probably more excitement as to uh, what you can do with your day off as opposed to um, more exciting things. On this program, we often talk about pieces of advice to various sports people and and sometimes there's one piece of advice that always sticks in their mind. Was there something that was told to you as a, a young aspiring footballer that still sticks in your mind to this day? Oh, over, over the course of 16 years, you know, there's so much advice. Um, for me, um, I can remember watching the football show and when I was, I think I'd just been drafted, 17, 18, probably 18. And um, I think from memory, um, David Schwartz, had just retired, and he was on the footy show. And he, someone asked him the question on the football show, if you could provide yourself a piece of advice from, from where you are now, what you know now, back when you first started, what would it be? And I, you know, I sat there going, well, this will be exciting. And he, he, wrote, he said something that many other athletes say, and that's believe in yourself. And I used to have a little book at home that I'd write down quotes and things. So I wrote that down, believe in yourself. Like, I was kind of so close to getting it, but I was so far away from it because it's one thing to actually write down believe in yourself. Um, if there was one thing that held me back over the course of my football career, it was not believing in myself enough and, and not enough confidence in, in um, trusting my own ability. So, And that took me time to actually learn about that. Um, so it's probably a long answer to your question, but um, I can remember that that turning point, acknowledging that, what David said, and then when I was at the lowest point of my career, actually in 2000, end of 2010, actually finally, probably 10 years later, going, all right, what's the plan here? How am I going to um, actually follow through with this as opposed to just writing something down? Well, it's interesting you should say that because you said something just a few minutes ago about belief in yourself, that you said you were always feeling as though you were one season away from being delisted. You played 261 games. So that obviously was not the case all the way through. What was the trigger from 2010 to actually believing in yourself, believing that you belonged at the top level? Yeah, it's actually quite, it's quite common, this fear of failure that footballers have. And I think I was a footballer that I was because I was never comfortable. I never sat in my comfort zone. I always felt that I had to do more to prove myself. Um, so, and I see that with other players too, whether, you know, some of the best players aren't great players because of the talent they've got. They're players because of the work ethic and they have the work ethic they have because they're not comfortable. Um, so at the end of 2000, 2010, I had a shocker. I was out of contract. I had eight weeks straight in the reserves. Um, I was, yeah, I thought football was going to be done with me as opposed to me being done with football. And um, fortunate for me, unlucky for very much for Craig Bolton, but Craig Bolton, who, you know, we, we played a similar position, got injured. And um, I got an opportunity to go back into the team and finish the season off okay and um, was subsequently given another contract, another one year, uh, a one-year deal. And, um I kind of reflected on my football career at that moment and gone, all right, I've got another chance here. 
what I'm doing. Like I've been playing for 10 years, was going okay, but how can I actually go here to another level? It's amazing those sliding doors moments in football. There are so many of them. One at your old club with Paul Ruse. I was just thinking that when he became the interim coach and had that good record and then the groundswell of support got behind him and there he is going on to be the premiership coach and earning a place in football heaven as far as that club's concerned. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not so arrogant to think that there was a certain amount of luck that everyone has in their career and a certain amount of uh, you know, poor luck. Um, and you, you're, your job is to make the most of those lucky opportunities. And, um, you know, if you look at, you know, just the 2012 grand final, you know, we, we won that by one kick. 2006, we lose that by a kick. And, you know, you've just got to make sure that when the opportunity's there, that you're putting your best foot forward to, to capitalise on that opportunity. Does losing a grand final by a kick stay with you for the rest of your life, no matter what happens? Uh, I think, I think, I think so, but... Um, because you know, it, it's you re, you reflect back on there, and I missed a goal during the game, where and you think of what if I kicked that? But I am very lucky in that I can kind of zoom out a bit and go. I was a part of one premiership. I lost two grand finals. I'm very fortunate in life to to have those three experiences because when it comes around to grand final day, I know the the vast majority of players are wondering what it's like to play on that you know, on the day, let alone win one. We'll talk in a broader sense about the grand finals a little bit later on, but just while we're talking about that game against West Coast, that rivalry that the two teams had with those two grand finals that a lot of people derided as not being attractive grand finals, but I love them. I thought that they were brilliant. Was that the biggest rivalry that you had in football in your time, do you think, that period? Yeah, it was... Like, I was fortunate enough to play against, when I was at Essendon, against Collingwood on Anzac days and things like that. But that's a different kind of rivalry that's been, um, let's call it 100 years in the making. Whereas Essendon West Coast was a bit more, oh, I'm just going to use the word organic, but it was a bit more, uh, it was just two teams that um, didn't buck the trend of, you know, having their time at the top of the ladder and staying down. They were both consistently good for a very long portion of time, had a lot of respect for each other and um, a similar game style. And it was just like watching arm wrestles. Yeah, it, it wasn't the shootout that I'm sure parts of the AFL would love for the, the game to be as a spectacle. But if you really appreciate the fact of um, AFL can sometimes be an arm wrestle and um, who's going to give up first and no team gives up. And it, it really is this desperate battle. Um, they were time and time again. Did it just feel inevitable when you ran out in the ground against the West Coast Eagles that there was just going to be a kick in it at the end? Didn't matter what you did for the next 120 minutes, it would be a goal either way. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it was like that. Um, the other thing is, you know, um, for two interstate teams, it didn't matter where we played. You know, like we, I, I don't have any data here to support this, but I feel like we won just as many times over there as they won over in Sydney. So, um, and then we also met at, at Melbourne a lot, you know, we, we, you know, in, in finals. So um, I'm quite nostalgic about those years. And, um, yeah, who knows? It, it looks like that legacy might continue. 
There's a lot to talk about in the great career of Ted Richards. We'll take our first break, and when we come back, we'll find out where it all began for the Bomber and Swan, who stretched his career out to 261 games, despite the fact that he woke up every morning thinking, I might be just about to get the chop. How can that be? (laughs) We'll find out when we come back on the other side of the break. This is your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Ted Richards on This Is Your Sporting Life. Ted? Where did the footy journey begin? Where did the life journey begin for you? I grew up down Sandringham Way, um, played my junior footy at East Sandy Zebras and grew up as a a big Essendon Bomber fan. Um, both sides of my family, mum's side and dad's, dad's side, were huge Essendon fans and um, went on to play um, uh, school footy and, and football at the Sandringham Dragons and was, was for, lucky enough to be drafted to Essendon. When did you realise that you might be able to take the next step and, and get to the top level? That kind of penny dropped um, when I was in under-15s. I was pretty good as a suburban, you know, um, footballer. And that was the first time rep footy started to get a bit serious. So what was that moment like? You're expecting to go somewhere. You've even got the merchandise sitting in front of you. And all of a sudden, the team that you barracked for as a kid picks you up. It was a dream come true. It, it really was. It was a dream come true um, at the moment, at, at that time. But when I look back on it and reflect, I don't think it was great for me because... Why is that? I was a big Essendon fan and I was going to a club where I had idolised these people for 17 years. And I reckon I was, when I walked into that club, I just wanted to be friends with them. I, I was just happy being there. Whereas if I could go back in time, I should have had the mindset, I'm going to take your spot and I don't care who you are. I'm getting into this team right now. And um, I think that mindset would have been far better than, but I was, I was 17 at the time. Yeah. So um, it's very hard to uh, have that maturity and that ruthless mindset. And you also go into a football club, Ted, where you've got one of the biggest names in the game, in the history of the game in charge of the club, in Kevin Sheedy. Yeah, and I was in awe of him too. I was in awe of Hurd. I was in awe of Lucas. They just Essendon had just come off a premiership. I watched the I didn't go to the game, but I watched the game on TV as a huge fan. So, um, yeah, to go back to, to that original question, I, I think, like, in hindsight, it would have been great to be a bit more ruthless in, like, in terms of not just being happy to be be mates with everyone. Did any of those blokes that you spoke about, Heard, Lucas, any of those blokes around the football club come up to you and say, young fella, you've got some ability, but you need to get a bit more mongrel in you? I think at, at, at different stages, um, not memorable. Um, I, I, uh, I think I was quite competitive and things like that, but um, I wasn't just happy to sit back and watch. Um, uh, I can't, yeah, so to answer your question, I, I can't remember specifically that happening, but, you know, for, for over the course of my football career, you know, the 16 years, you kind of see some come in, some kids come in and think that, and you can kind of tell that they're 
happy to wait for their turn. And some kids come in and go, I don't care. I, there's no queue here. There's no birth certificates here. We're all even and I'm going to take your spot. When did you think the writing was on the wall at Essendon? Uh, well, after four and a half years there, I'd probably played about 25 games. I'd never played more than three games in a row. I was in and out, and I'd made up the mo- my mind at the end of that year that I was going to move, move clubs, and um, I just wanted to go to a club that wanted me. Um, Essendon came back to me after I said, no, I'm, I'm leaving. Essendon came back to me and said, listen, no, 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 we want, we want you to stay. Here's a, here's a contract. And uh, I said, no, 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 I'm leaving. And Essendon came back and said, oh, here's a better contract. I said, no, no, you don't get this. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And Swans came out. There were a couple of teams that were shown interest in someone that had only played 33 games over five years, which was pleasing. Swans, who had just won a premiership, came out and said, we want, we want, you know, we want Ted, which was... I was, you know, incredibly um, excited about, and and then Essendon come out and, and say we want a, a first round draft pick, and I'm like, well, hang on, hang on, Essendon, you don't play me. Let's let's. I play more football for the Bendigo Bombers here, so I was a bit embarrassed by what Essendon were trying to get for me for someone that was a fringe player, and um, Swans, you know, somewhat embarrassingly said, well, we want him. Um, we've got a first-round draft pick here. I think it was pick 19 or something. We'll take him. And I was incredibly embarrassed about that. And then Essendon said, no, we want more. And I was like, hang on. And then like, there was some little steak knife kind of deals. We'll swap pick 50 for pick 55 or something like that. And then, um, fortuitously, the deal went through. Did you crack it with Essendon because of their attitude at that time? No, I, I, I didn't crack it. But I, I did think that Essendon were being a bit greedy, you know, for someone that... They wouldn't play you. They but... wouldn't play me. Play yeah. me, and you know. And to be fair, like I've got a lot of friends, and I'm very much grateful and respectful for my time at Essendon. But I did think that um, what Essendon went to the trade table asking for was a bit over the top. But to be fair, they got it. Um, so you can kind of give a tick to their negotiation skills. But um, I'm also very grateful for the Swans. It's a bit like the old girlfriend situation, isn't it? You, know, you decide that you don't want to go out with a girlfriend and then your best mate comes up and says, well, do you mind if I step into the breach? And you go, no, no that won't be happening. <laughs> I didn't think of that analogy at the time. It's probably applicable. <laughs> what do you reckon the Swans saw in you that Essendon didn't? Swans originally were quite excited. Uh, one of my strengths is, um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively tall, but I, I'm a, a pretty good runner. And... Um, they quite liked the idea of Mickey O'Loughlin being deep, you know, in the goal square, Barry, um, Barry Hall being, you know, roaming around the top of the 50, Ryan O'Keefe as being the forward that would really work deep into um, our back line and me kind of just controlling that space as a leading forward wing to wing and really being that, 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 you know, the forward that would kind of work in that territory. And for a while, that was my role. But for whatever reason, I played much better football down back. Speaking of Barry, before you got to Sydney, did you ever have the opportunity of playing on him? Yeah, I did. I, um, How scary was that? It, it was pretty scary. There was a, it was a game, uh, it would have been 2004, 2005. Um, I was at Essendon, we were playing against the Swans. And I was playing centre-half back on Barry Hall. And I was just filling in for someone. It might have been for Dustin Fletcher when he's going off for a while. I'd probably been on him for a quarter, and I'm thinking, 
oh, I can't wait to get off here. And I can remember the runner came out to me and said, Ted, um, we're just doing a, tra- a, tra- a, a change. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And the, and, um, the runner said to me, uh, Sheeds wants you to tag Goodsy. <laughs> Frying pan into yeah, the fire. And I can remember thinking, oh, I do, I do, I do, maybe I should just stay here. Because, <laughs> yeah, Goodsy at the time, was, I think he might have even won a Brownlow that year. So, like, I was, I was going on from my, the most intimidating player to the official best player of the, of the comp at the time. So, um, yeah, from one extreme to another. Do you keep in contact with Goodsy now? I do. Um, when did we last see each other? Probably a couple of weeks ago. Good to lose in Sydney. Um, the fantastic thing about having success with football is that it, it, it formalises some form of reunion. And um, there was a 2012, 2012 premiership where team was inducted into the Swans Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago. So it was a reason why we all needed to get together and guys flew in from all over Australia. And I'm grateful for that because if it wasn't for that, some of these close relationships that you, you forge over long periods of time, everyone moves on from life and, and gets gets on with um, different things. So premierships are fantastic. And you know, this is something that Sheeds would say, premierships are fantastic because of uh, the reunions you have. Yeah, that bond that can yeah. never be broken. yeah. What's Goodsey's attitude towards the game like? Because we all know what happened. There are a million theories about why it happened. What's he like now with football? Is he soured by everything that went on? I I still think there is a, there is a, a sour taste as to his relationship with football. But I do think I do think that it's changing. I think um, well the Swans, you know, Goodsey for his career didn't have the finish to the career that was the celebration of a fantastic career over 18 years and multiple brand lows and multiple premierships and, and everything and playing however many games that he did. Um, so I, th- I feel like we're almost kind of doing that in retrospect a bit. Um, we, we had a fantastic night at the Swans um, a few weeks ago where he was um, immortalized as legend status Um um, and the, the the whole night it was officially the Swans jumper presentation, but the whole night was pretty much about Goodsy. And I think that it might be breaking down some of the barriers and improving his relationship with the game. But unfortunately, um, there might be some still still some scars here. You touched on 2012 a little bit before. Um, we remember the great line of Paul Ruse in 2005, that famous line. Well, seven years later, you were about to experience the footballers ultimate dream and we'll talk about that with Ted when we come back on the other side of the break this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives you're listening to this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives welcome back to this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives Wonderful to have the 261-game Premiership star, Ted Richards, as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life. Star, is that a word that sits well with you, or are you just happy to let everybody else have the accolades? I think you used a bit of poetic licence, but I didn't, didn't want to stop you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have it. <laughs> and mate, if, you, if you played 261 games and you played in a flag, I reckon that qualifies. Yeah, it's not something that fullbacks are normally referred to. <laughs> <as>. <laughs> All right. Uh, we mentioned the Premiership, 2012. Uh, the pressure to a degree, had come off the club because of the premiership in the mid-2000s. 
But that 2012 flag, what are your memories of that year and that game? Yeah, I think it's different to what most people kind of presume in that if you, if you look back, no one gave us a chance at the time. It was John Longmire's second year as coach. Um, I don't think, you know, we'd had an okay year the year before. No one expected us to be the premiership team, let alone top four. And um, uh, we squeezed through to, to fourth from on the ladder. And um, we were we were a young, we were a good team without too many superstars. Um, and I, when I reflect back, I wouldn't say like it was fun and enjoyable because there was pressure. Yeah, like the the neat like I, I feel like. The, the better the team is, um, the more that expectation and weight on your shoulders is there. And um, um, yeah, so that I, I when I when I think back to it, I can remember that. But I can also remember people thought we were lucky. People, you know, along throughout the year um, to to be where we were, and um, you know, so finished the season fourth, went over to Adelaide in um, qualifying final week, I think it was, and played them over there at Football Park. And they, Adelaide were top. They were the best team. And we beat them over there. And, um, um, yeah, that was one of the most exciting games I played in over the course of my career. Did that win give you the belief that you could win the flag? Or did it waver before that, but then that confirmed that you were in with a shout? Yeah, like it's only natural to have some form of, you know, doubts in that yeah, we're, we're, we're taking on the best team here and we go over there knowing that we can win this. But there is still some uncertainty here and um, unknowns. Um, but we have our, we got a second chance if it doesn't come off. But we turned it on. We played well. And that, you know, once, you get, once you win that game, the week off, home prelim final, that was, you, you kind of can start to, start to taste it. So on the day... You turn up, it's the realisation of a dream. You've already known one losing grand final, but here you are in with a shot again. What's the feeling like on the day? For, for myself, I, I was shitting myself. <laughs> I, I was shitting myself. I'd, I'd done my um, syndesmosis the week before. If this was an ordinary game, I would have had a couple of weeks off. Um, I had no... I hadn't trained. Um, I couldn't change direction. I knew that I was going to have to rely on um, pain-killing injections to be able to get through the game. Um, so did you wrestle with yourself with a decision that perhaps only you can make? I don't want to let my teammates down by being a liability. Did that thought cross your mind? It, it crossed my mind a lot. It crossed my mind a lot because I'm all about the team and I'm all about you know team first and... Um, this unknown as to if my ankle could actually hold up. Not only that, I've got a, I know I've got to play on Buddy Franklin. Um, um, I kind of was looking back and I can remember Trent Crowe, you know, went into the grand final one year, hurt, badly hurt his foot, was out for the rest of the game, four minutes in. You know, Trent was a, that was a different example because Trent hurt himself in the game. But if I'm going into the game with a bad ankle and I can't change direction, and I need to go off five minutes into the game because I'm just a liability. Is that selfish? And so I was very nervous throughout the week um, because 
that was the last thing I wanted to be. But the physios were quite confident and said, Ted, we can get you through this game. I said, you know, well, every quarter, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jab up the ankle, we'll strap it up, we'll just lock up the ankle, it'll be good for half an hour. And then at quarter time, we'll do it again. Half time, we'll do it again. Three quarter time, we'll do it again. And that sounded great on paper. But on the spectacle, when you're playing the, possibly the most athletic guy that's ever played the game in the history, this could be very embarrassing for me. And um, so I was going into the game quite nervous as opposed to 2006, where I was kind of going in, going, just excited by the spectacle. I think Buddy kicked three goals yeah. for that day. How would you rate your performance on him? Just okay. Like, okay. Like, okay. You know, um, Buddy was on fire. Um, I, I'm, he beat me. Like, I, he, he beat me. But when the pressure was on, well, you know, the pressure was on the whole game. But in the last quarter, I think I beat him in the last quarter in that, um, in the one-on-ones that we had and things like that. So, um, I'm, it possibly sounds arrogant, but I'm, I hold my head up in that, the, the role that I played for the team. But, um, um, I'm also quite proud of the fact that I could get through that um, despite all the circumstances. A question I've asked a lot of premiership players over the years, is the first emotion relief rather than joy when the siren sounds? Yeah, I, um, I, I may have said this earlier, but for what a motivation for me over the course of my football career was fear of failure. Mm. And I hear that's actually quite, quite common. And um, I'm now in the finance world and, and, and love behavioural economics. And we do know that loss aversion, losses hurt way more than the power that you, you feel when you win something. And that's relative to, you know, the stock market investing too. And, I, you know, I, I can remember well after we lost in 2014, you know, and, or, you know, and even 2006, the losses hurt so much that... Um, they hurt so much more than the exhilaration of winning. And um, I, I can re- remember in those dark times reflecting, was it better just to finish eighth or ninth than to get to this stage and lose? And um, But I can remember reading a quote from, um, who said this? I think it was Patton, George Patton, General Patton. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's around, you've, you know, um, accepting the, ch- the challenge without reservation or doubt. You need to... Risk the depression of um, lose to pr- risk the depression of losing, so you can feel the exhilaration of winning. So that's what football is. It's competitive. You sign up for it. When you win, it's fantastic. But when you lose and you're so close, it hurts. I think Lee Matthews had a quote along similar lines at one stage. He was asked about the pressure of reaching grand finals all the time, in particular as a coach. And I think he said, "If someone could magically come to me on grand final day." and say, I can offer you the chance of not going through this. You won't win the flag, but I can offer you the chance. He said, I would have taken that offer, just not to have to go through it at all. That's the sort of pressure that's on. It's consuming. It really is consuming. Um, like, there is the most exciting and enjoyable time of the week is 10 minutes after you have a win, where um, you can kind of just live in the moment a bit. And then very quickly after 10 minutes after a game, it's all about, all right, back on the horse. What's, what have we got for next week? Priority, recovery, um, icing and everything like that. So there isn't too many 
large windows over the course of, let's call it nine, 10 months, where you can actually go, um, take a moment and reflect and go, how exciting is this? Because, uh, and more, especially so in season when, they, um, you know, it's week to week. One last question. John Barnes was on this program a couple of weeks ago and he said Mark Harvey, of all people, gave him advice um, with the Premiership, don't drink too much um, because I drank too much when we celebrated a flag and I don't remember anything about it. Did you give it a good crack in 2012? No, I um, I had similar advice from Brett Kirk. And um, so I think I held off. I I, I had some champagne in the cup um, in the rooms at the end of the game. I, might have, I think I had one beer down there. And then I think I tried to hold off till like eight or nine o'clock. I had family that had flown in from around the world, brothers and sisters that lived different places around the world that had flown in. And I needed to absorb this this moment of my life as much as I could. And then I continued to uh, have a good crack from there. <laughs> as you do, and as you're entitled to do. We're just about out of time. We're going to take our final break. Talked about having a foggy head on grand final night. Unfortunately, you did finish up with a foggy head at various times in your career, towards the end of your career. And it's a hot topic of conversation in footy at the moment. We'll get Ted's thoughts on that when we come back on the other side of the break. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment, hope you've enjoyed the chat with Ted Richards. Ted, I mentioned the foggy head and I hope you don't mind the analogy from the grand final celebrations, but concussion was something that certainly impacted on you in the later stages of your career. First of all, do you feel any effects of that now? No, I'm, I'm very, very lucky in that I, I don't have any long-term effects. Um, um, so, but you're right. You know, there I had a few over the course of my my career, and it's it's never great to be injured, let alone a concussion. And um, but um, for, fortunately, no no effects. When that was happening, when you were concussed, did you feel as though you were okay? Did you feel as though you could play the next week? But perhaps the medicos were saying something different to you. Yeah, I I think. Footballers and athletes, we're competitive and um, you get a cork, you, you get an injury. You, you, can, you can try and dust it off and, and get, get back on, on with the game. Um, so it's very hard to say, well, that's okay if you've got a cork or you've got a, a small tear or you've got something like that where you can still get through the game and you, the team appreciate it because you're still playing a role for the team. It, it's very hard in the heat of the moment to say, well, hang on. There's now a line and you've overstepped the line. We actually need to, even though um, physically you can still run, jump and everything like that, we need to uh, withdraw you from the game. Yeah, I think I think it's at times I did struggle with that. There's no definitive answer to the question that I'm about to ask you. I mentioned John Barnes. He's amongst a group of players who are perhaps looking at legal action because of the knocks that they've suffered and saying that perhaps there wasn't a duty of care applied at the time. Is that something that you think was inherent in your job at the time? That you cross the white line, it's a physical game, sometimes that is going to happen? I can't comment on specifics because you know, what we know now, it was unheard of. And, you know, I, I think John might have started his football career early 90s and 
it was a total different approach to uh, concussion I hear. I was, you know, I was 10 at the time. So very hard for me to form my opinion right now on concussion and, and how things are to what they may have been in the past. So I'll uh, kind of take a pass there. No, fair enough. Was it that that eventually ended your career or was it just the natural progression that the body was just about had enough at the end of the journey? I think someone said, oh, you know, your, your career uh, ended up because of concussion reasons. To be fair, they were taken into account, you know, but to be fair, I was also washed up. I was, I was 33 at the time, which is not old for, uh, in some, in terms of someone's life, but that's quite old. I was the oldest in the swans. I was slowing down. No, it was, I was done. I was done. And I was, I was ready for the next chapter of life. I'd been working to this. I was ready for new conversations and the other passions that I have. And you mentioned your business. Mm. Just take us through exactly what you're doing and, and what's it called? Yeah, so uh, I'm involved with a business called Six Park, and we provide investment management. Um, there was a couple of gentlemen outside of the that were involved with the Future Fund that uh, um, helped set up the business. Um, Lindsay Tanner, who's chairman of Essendon, uh, is on our investment committee. We recently signed um, former CIO of the World Bank has joined our investment committee, and we provide investment advice, but instead of doing it face-to-face, we do it online, and the Royal Commission's been fantastic for us because we're everything where that a bank isn't, we're low cost, we don't try and sell people things that they don't need, we've got no conflicts, so um, yeah, check us out, sixpark.com.au. There you go, we'll send the invoice for that. One last question, when you pulled the pin, 261 games, premiership, three grand finals in total. Did you pull out that book that had the David Schwartz quote in it, said, believe in yourself and think, oh, yeah, I reckon I've probably done okay? I, I'm incredibly proud of the career that I had. Um, and I, I pulled out the book you know, throughout certain times of my football career. And I can remember even writing something in there about how much, in my dark times, how much I'm looking forward to pulling the pin on football. But I was incredibly sad because this journey that I'd had from when I was five or six years old, this dream had kind of run its course. And um, um, I was incredibly nostalgic reflecting back on all the hard work and all the, the memories of, about that. So um, that was just part of uh, the emotions that I had at the time. It's been great over the past hour to relive some of those emotions and some of those memories. Congratulations on the career. You might have had a lot of doubts about yourself, but the one thing that we who watched you play never doubted was your courage on the footy field. And sometimes going in where angels feared to tread, um, it was part of your DNA as a footballer and we enjoyed it. It was a great career. Well done. And thanks for reliving it. Thanks very much, Peter. Ted Richards joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with another great Australian sports person next week. Hope you can join us then. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.